1: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdat Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except sometimes the author stops by. Our January pick is Micaiah Johnson's sci-fi novel, The Space Between Worlds, and she is our guest today. The book is about a multiverse, which if you don't already know, is a universe where there are hundreds of other planets, a lot like Earth so much like Earth, in fact, that the same people are on every planet. Uh, It's just that their storylines are slightly different on each one. And it turns out it's possible to travel between these Earths as long as the you on that planet is already dead, which makes our main character Kara quite a commodity because she's already dead on every planet except for eight of them. Later this month, we are going to spoil this entire book in our panel discussion. But today, this is going to be a spoiler-free conversation. So if you haven't read the book yet, you are totally in the right place. Makaya, welcome to Nerdette.
2: Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to do my best to not spoil. I didn't know how spoiler <laughs> spoilable my book
1: was until I started doing interviews. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't say oh yeah. any of that. <laughs> Well, so what do you think about like the summary I gave? Like, Is that a decent setup? Is there anything that you think I missed that you no, want to add without spoiling the whole thing? I want to thank you for,
2: A, giving that amazing kind of introduction to it and not asking me, like, so what's the elevator pitch for this book? Because every time I freeze up and I forget words and I don't know what character... I'm even, I'm like, uh, I don't know. There's a girl that's a vampire. Wait, no, that's not my book. And I just like kind of panic. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Like you said it better than I have ever
1: said it <laughs> this entire time. Well, I'll email the text over to you if you just want to steal yes, it. Please. <laughs> I will attribute few. you. <laughs> so this is your first book, right?
2: Yes. In the world. I feel like we all have like those embarrassing, like secret hidden mm. books. That are like in the woodshed that we never speak of. But as far as like in the actual world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like writing a novel of any sort just involves an insane amount of detail and world building. But here you are. You've created a universe where there are literally 380 different worlds. Was there a point as you were writing this where you were just like, I can't do this. What have I done? Yes, Um, I am very much a humanities major. And mm-hmm. so
2: I've made a book where it relies upon my ability to count. And that was a mistake. <laughs> um, I have been asked technical questions where it's just like, well, if this world is this one, or this world is this one. And I'm just like, I can't count. I can't do math. I don't know why I did this to myself. Um, and everybody was like, did you have an Excel spreadsheet? Did you have some sort of, you know, really smart outlined way of doing this? But I did not. I had like a sticky notes and yes. like a cork board that makes it look like I either am a serial killer or I am hunting one. And I'm just like, I wish I was smart enough and to see in advance to be like, oh, I'll just keep a document with notes like an Excel spreadsheet. And instead, I just like, no, no, we're just going to do a bunch of sticky notes like the Charlie Day meme, like the madman in the cave is <laughs> is the method I'm going with. What could go wrong?
1: Well, I, it's so funny to hear you say that because I feel like a word that I've used to describe this book a number of times is scrappy. Mm-hmm um because our main character is so scrappy and I don't know like for some reason picturing you writing this as much as I didn't want to inflict that intensity upon you I was definitely picturing like post-its and string for sure
2: (laughs) no I think scrappy is a good description of both the book and also like when I was writing it because I began writing this book my plan was to write the whole book in like a year beginning October 2016 and then November Mm. 2016 happened and I did not write Mm. for Months and months and months, and so it did become this thing where, like, the whole tone of the book kind of shifted. Like, I do not know if like border walls would have been such an influence had that not been mm. so in the rhetoric at the time, and you know, travel bans. So, of course, I make a traverser because I'm a stubborn human being, and that's what I do when I see that people can't do a thing. um So, I do mm. like I think a lot about that time period, especially now as I'm like you know once again writing under an a very tumultuous time. And it's just like the ways in which this will manifest,
1: I do not yet know. Hmm. That's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like sci-fi historically has always been such a great vehicle for answering big questions, I think. And I, I hope this isn't too challenging for you, but I think we can do it together. I'm curious Hmm. if you could talk about some of the other themes that you ended up exploring in this book. Um, I think one of the biggest ones for me Is like this is such a beautiful exploration of privilege,
2: especially
1: given the fact that, you know, our main character, she's a young woman of color, which I mean, more or less is like it's because of that inequity that she's dead on most of these other planets.
2: Yes, no privilege was the the, definitely the word I was going to say so I'm just copying off of, of you right now. (laughs) <laughs> but absolutely, like, and I think what you said was perfect where it's like sci-fi is this vehicle for interrogating those questions in a way that is digestible to people who might not otherwise be comfortable encountering them, right? So there are people who've been resistant to the ideas of privilege, but then they read the book and they're just like, oh, it makes sense that if she's born on this side of the wall or that side of the wall, she's has a dramatically better life, no matter, regardless of her actions, it's, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, like you're getting it, you're seeing it, you're seeing it. And so because like sci-fi, you know, I think that so often we have, like, we have like a very divided rhetorical structure right now, right, for social issues. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's probably safe enough to say, given the week we've yeah,
1: had. that's <laughs> a good way of putting yeah. it. I think mean, that's very diplomatic,
2: honestly. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, which for me is like an accomplishment. <laughs> but whereas great. if it's fed in a way where you don't have your wall up because you're reading science fiction, I think that, you know, other issues can kind of piggyback. You kind of, you know, get in there without encountering that resistance that people have when they're in things where they know they're being educated about social issues. And so yeah. that's been kind of my experience as people who have been like, oh, I didn't get it because before I thought this, but then reading this book, which is, again, science fiction, you know, when you remove the the context of reality, it becomes like a way of like kind of tricking these things in there.
1: Do you ever think of it as like sneaking bacon into Brussels sprouts or something?
2: Yeah, basically the, the medicine and the hot dog. <laughs> Um,
1: yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. And I think it's also, and not even just as a means of like, oh, this is a good way of getting people to eat it, but it's also a better way of explaining it. Like, I think a lot about, I am. It, it's no secret that I'm a Toni Morrison stan and I obsess. Mm. I, I pray at the altar of Toni Morrison. But yes. for her, like, she could not explain. Like, basic numbers and basic facts could not capture the horror of slavery for her. Right? Mm-hmm. She has to tell it through a ghost story. It's the only thing. Like, there are times in which. Nonfiction fails to capture reality in a way that science, like you know, the fantastic and science fiction, can actually express it better than the cold hard facts. You know, the essence of the thing. um I was thinking about this in terms of. I'm sorry, I'm about to go on a really long rant, but I'm trying to keep. No, it short. this is
1: great. I mean, you just <laughs> gave me goosebumps. I'm thrilled. Okay. Like it, that's beautiful. I was thinking about it. I went to this
2: um Turner exhibit. Uh, where he's trying to capture, like, the immensity of a mountain.
1: Wait, Turner, like the, like, American naturalist painter yeah, Um guy? Yeah, James W. Turner. Okay.
2: So he was trying to capture mountains. He's trying to capture a storm. And, of course, like, a photograph of clouds is one way of capturing a storm. And it is 100% accurate. But what he painted is this, like, abstract storm of just, like, mm. grays and blacks. And you can't really see. And there's kind of a shape. And it's not as accurate technically as a photograph, but it is more real to the experience of mm-hmm. being in a storm. And so that's kind of how I view science fiction and fantasy is it may be less factually accurate, but there are elements in it that can actually be more real.
1: Oh, I love that so much. There's another really interesting device that's kind of like peppered in through this book, which I, it almost feels like a chorus. Mm. Um And and it sets up what I I can't come up with the right word. I don't know if it's like conflict or dichotomy, but but the the I don't know, like the existential difference, but inevitable similarity between the scientific and the spiritual. Yes,
2: yes. The scientists and the believers. Um, I really wanted to do this because I thought there's a fraught relationship with religion throughout the book which is like no surprise because I have a fraught relationship with religion in my life. But also um, I'm being a little meta and a little cheeky because there is this kind of overarching discussion in science fiction about what counts as science fiction. And previously, the marker has always been how much hardcore science are you incorporating? Like that legitimizes you. Mm -hmm. But recently, like that's always been basically used to excise people who are leaning more towards the fantastic text that generally favors people who are also favored by STEM in general, right?
1: Right. Uh, I was going to say, who also didn't have a super intense scientific education growing up. Exactly.
2: So Nalo Hopkinson is an amazing writer, an amazing science fiction writer. She wrote Brown Girl in the Ring, among many, many others, um, recently named the head of the Science Fiction Writers Association, very earned. But she had this really great talk where she said, like, your heroes, like for you, it was science and for us, it was torture. Like different cultures will always have a different relationship to science. And so aggrandizing it blindly as science fiction seeks to do is not going to work for all populations. And so using that as a metric of legitimacy is in itself reaffirming these dangerous power structures. And so having that thing where even in a book that is clearly about like scientific breakthroughs kind of robbing that power by undermining it with like, but just as equally, like all these kind of folkloric elements are equally a science. Like all these kinds of belief structures are equally a science. Um, Like you you never, like there is this kind of tension in the book between it's like, oh, well this is, you know, this pressure you're feeling is the pressure of like gravitational forces as you're traversing, or Mm -hmm. it's like a God hiding in the dark, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it never really um, wants to settle that question.
1: Mm hmm. Like flip a coin, you yeah. know, like whatever. Yeah. I think there's also a really gorgeous theme in this book around the idea of like, spending so much time rejecting where you came from to try to fit into a place just to realize that you're actually at your strongest when you embrace it. Yes. Speaking of power structures,
2: right? right? Yes. Uh, people often ask me if carrot is me. And I always say, mm. no, like I wish, um, if anything, it's my sister whom I greatly admire and who's far braver mm. than I am. But one thing that certainly influenced a lot of the book is, you know, I am from a small impoverished desert in Southern California. And I, oh, wow. via scholarship alone, was moved to the Northeast to go to university. And I got to live in the city and I was in Philadelphia. And like that transition, that's one of those things where while I was writing, it was never in my mind. And only really? like in edits was I like, oh, huh (laughs) see what i did here (laughs) that's the thing like that feeling of like the polite you know everybody knows of like academia is it's like very polite place where a lot of like racism and inequality is still enacted just you know politely you know Mm -hmm. um and so it is like one of those things where that experience of like i've always wanted to see and i think this is the experience of most like first generation college kids most kids from both rural areas poor areas they tend to want to like shed right we, we don't want to sound like where we're from. We don't want to dress like where we're from. We emulate to try to fit in. We just want to completely shed that identity because in our minds, like, that's how you get to financial security. That's how you get to safety. But really finally realizing after I get there, it's like, oh, like so much of my being able to be here and succeed here comes from all of that, which I love, you know, all of those things then become assets. Now that, you know, I'm in this other place, it becomes this uniqueness that I'm, holding on to, to, like, keep my identity.
1: After the break, more with Micaiah on The Space Between Worlds.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen. Nguyen
1: ask you about one of the dedications in this book mm. hit me you you <laughs> wrote one to grandma tree Yes. Yeah. and you wrote I love you you made me please don't read read this book yes what what the fuck <laughs> Um, I, what are you willing to share about that? No, no, I can absolutely talk about this
2: safe in the knowledge that she will never hear this and that would make me brave. Um,
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So everybody thinks it's like very mystical, but it's literal. My grandmother's name is tree. Um, so that's like, it's not like, Oh, a figure. This is not like a, I did Google grandma tree just to see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But she, um, very much raised me. She and my older sister, I credit with a lot of what makes me mean but she's also mm. a very devout, remains mm. very devout Jehovah's Witness. And oh, wow. I am absolutely a reader and a writer because of her. We took these like mm. long trips. She'd make me listen to audiobooks. She'd like turn the volume down for sex scenes or bad words. Like this was like our ritual. Um, but obviously there is this like kind of insurpassable distance between us. And so it is that thing where it's like i want to honor you in this space like you absolutely like are here and you made me but also please don't read this book and like she Ugh. i think she got it anyway and she started reading the first chapter and luckily she just got forced out by language Like she texted me just like oh kaya what what do you think what do you think god feels about your language?" And I'm just like, don't act like you weren't warned. Like <laughs> I gave you instructions. This is all on you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How fascinating. Cause I feel like even that is testament to the title to the space between worlds, right? Yeah,
2: I mean... oh, absolutely. I didn't, it's one of those things where it sneaks up on me because I didn't realize it at the time, but afterward I was like, oh, <laughs> there is a really religious in the desert group that, uh, you know, professed faith. I think in the one draft, they were even handing out pamphlets. And I'm just like, and I truly didn't see it. And I'm just like,
1: wow, I'm really not very self-aware at all, am I? <laughs> but I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's partly why it ends up being such a great story. I don't know. Yeah,
2: it's like I'm telling the story to myself that even I do not know that I know.
1: <laughs> so how do you think a book like this adds to the genre? It's changed so much in the last couple of years, which I'm thrilled by.
2: Yes, yeah, like we're all in N.K. Jemisin's shadow at this point, right? Yes. Like well, and yeah. but
1: like so, yeah. I mean, do you do you think of your book as being sort of like in conversation with? I mean, I think N.K. Jemisin Ooh. is a great example, or you know, like another one that came to mind. I think that's also just like a really. Uh, beautifully illustrated uh, exploration of social justice issues is like um, Children of Blood and Bone, yes. Tomi Adeyemi, you know?
2: Um, yes. I, on my most egotistical days, will consider myself even in like the same league as N.K. Jemison. Like people have been calling this book like, oh, it's groundbreaking. I'm like, no, no. It's kind of like tiptoeing in ground that was previously broken for me, you know, just like N.K. Jemison really had the much harder battle. And of course, before her, Noah Hopkinson, and before her, like, we have so many writers of color who have had to deal with so much, you know? I'm writing after that kind of, what was it, Sad Puppies fiasco. I'm writing after, like, they have had to deal with all of the outright kind of, you know, hate and battle. Yeah.
1: And yeah, by sad puppies, you're referring to when she was, that was when she was nominated for a Hugo, right? And a bunch of people just like rallied against her. It was just like a troll. It was a nightmare. Yes.
2: They rallied against every like writer of color and they tried to hijack the Hugos to ensure basically just that straight white men won, even if their works were terrible, which just goes to show they're not interested in meritocracy. but that's a whole other rant. (laughs) But yes.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I think like, I think sci-fi still gets a bad rap, mm. you know, like because it just was so like exclusionary and straight and white and cis and male for so long.
2: Yeah. And that, but that's what's seen, right? Like people know Ursula Le Guin, they know Octavia Butler, but those names get so covered over by the Robert Heinleins, you know, by the Arthur C. Right. Clark and it's who the media chooses. Like, how long has it taken us to get an Octavia Butler remake? Whereas we'll see like, you know, the same kinds of authors get remade and remade and remade. Like Philip K. Dick's work will never go away because people are going to keep wanting to make movies of his books and then make movies off of the movies that were made of his books. And so it is just like how we've allowed this cultural capital to be dispersed. The writers have always been there. They just haven't been allowed to kind of get the same amount of shine. And so it is like one of those, I don't know, kind of real bummers. And like, so I just absolutely like, I feel like I think that there's, movement to be made and I hope I'm a part of that movement I'm kind of moving toward like particularly you know like a pro-sex work you know allowing space for non-binary characters allowing space Mm -hmm. for that kind of you know gender troubling that I'm hoping there's still space for but I also want to acknowledge that like I am by Mm -hmm. no means the first I feel like there's been this rhetoric of groundbreaking that I don't totally sit comfortable with because I want to just be like no 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 (laughs) please don't get me in trouble yeah
1: well I mean I don't know I feel like there's a way to like respect the people who Mm -hmm. have like gone before you and who have undergone like just you know unimaginable levels of harassment but still to say that like hey the book you just wrote is really special you know yeah I'll I'll take that I like that (laughs) Makaya. thank you so much it was such a pleasure to talk with you I can't wait to see what you come up with next
2: oh my god thank you so much for having me this was great
1: micaiah johnson what a great conversation the book is truly excellent i think you're gonna like it a lot pick up a copy then join us back here later this month for a very spoiler filled conversation about the space between worlds the show is produced by me with help from justin our executive producer is Brendan banizak Join the conversation about this and like a whole bunch of other stuff in our Facebook group. It's called Nerdette Headquarters. You can just search for Nerdette HQ. And seriously, read The Space Between Worlds. Of course, we want to hear what you think. Leave us a voicemail about it. Just record yourself on your phone and then email that file to nerd at gmail.com. And then come back and tune into our panel discussion, which comes out on Tuesday, January 26th. We will see you then. Okay, bye.